Not exactly what you expected on Sunday morning, is it? If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to conclude chapter 2 this morning, and there is a, a method to my madness. There is a reason why I showed that clip this morning. If you're familiar with the movie, you, you know that at first Woody and, and Buzz weren't friends at all. It took some getting used to, some, uh, some time to, to come together and, and become friends. They had to go through some trials. They had to go through some adventures. And, and uh, the, the title song of that movie kind of sums up what I want to talk about this morning and, and, uh, and what it means to be a, a true friend. But, but not only does it what it means to be a true friend, but, but what it means to be a godly servant and, and how those two are directly related. And so I, I want us to, as you, as you turn to Philippians 2, I, uh, I'm going to be looking at verses 19 through 30. And, uh, you know, this month, if, if you're not aware, this month is Black History Month. And I've been, uh, been getting some emails about different things that have happened in the, the course of our, our country's past, some of the things that have um, taken place, that things that we're not proud of, things that we, we shouldn't condone, things that we, we can't really... Um, speak for now other than to thank God that we're no longer where we used to be as a nation but I want you to, 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 to think back and, and some of you will remember some of us won't I wasn't alive during this time but, but in the early 1950s the Brooklyn Dodgers signed the first African American baseball player a man by the name of Jackie Robinson he was the first man uh, black man to, to, to play in this league of, of all white players and when he became the first player, he did not have it easy. In fact, he faced venom everywhere he went. Uh, when he would get up to the plate to, to hit, pitchers would throw fastballs at his head. When he would be on second base um, trying to make a play, other players would, would try to spike him with their cleats. And when he would come out of the dugouts, people in the crowds would, would just spew forth hate and racial slurs and, and profanity towards this man, all because of his skin color. There was one particular game in Boston that, that Robinson tells the account of, and he, he tells about it had almost become too much. He was, he was standing at second base. He had accidentally uh, dropped the ball, messed up a play, and the crowd was just ruthless. And they were just, just really just spewing forth these racial slurs and these, this hate speech and and uh, in the midst of it, the shortstop, a southern white man by the name of Pee Wee Reese, called a timeout. And he went over to second base where Jackie Robinson was, and he put his arm around him. And he looked at the crowd. And they stood there what seemed like for an eternity, as Jackie Robinson says, but, but it was just for a few moments. But, but Pee Wee had put his arm around Jackie, and he made a bold statement that this man is my friend. And that if you accept me, you accept him. And, and Robinson later goes on to, to say that, that that gesture spoke more eloquently to him than any other uh, event that he could remember. He said, in fact, it was, it was the turning point. He had considered quitting baseball, but he decided to stick it through because of a faithful friend that had come through. And this morning, that's what I want us to talk about. That how the, the marks of a godly servant and, and how that 
is best seen and how that is best played out and how that is best exhibited through friendship. And so we've been, been focusing for the past three weeks in chapter 2 on, on serving with joy and serving others. And so this morning I want us to conclude this, this portion of Scripture of, about serving with what the marks of a godly servant are through the results of friendship. So if you have your Bible at Philippians 2, look with me there. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, But you know Timothy's proven worth and how as a son and with a father he has served me within the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been displeased distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Father, as we open up this morning in, in this time of, of, of dwelling in your word, Father, help us to, uh, to be aware of the truths here, the, the qualities, the characteristics that you desire of a, a godly servant. Father, we're all called to service. We're called to serve you. We're we're called to serve the King. And Father, we ask that our service would be worthy and that it would bring honor and glory to your name. So this morning, Father, help us to reflect on on where we are and and, and where we stand as friends because you were the first and, and true faithful friend that set the example for us through your Son. And we ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Looking at these last few verses in in chapter 2, I have to admit it is difficult to to see where, where these marks come from. There's no clear command in these verses. In fact, this... This portion of the text, the tone of it is a, is a personal narrative. It's a story. It's an account. It's, it's Paul telling us about his, his two protégés, his two disciples. And so he's not telling us things that we're to do or, or guidelines to live by so much. He's just telling us about his friends. And that's what they are here. And do we have true friends? Do we have friends like, like Woody and Buzz? Or like Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee. Do we, we have somebody we can count on? Now, if you're on the Internet and you've got a Facebook account, I'm not talking about Facebook friends. Facebook friends aren't friends. They're people you know. Some of them can be your true friends, but I'm talking about true friends, genuine friends. People that don't judge you. 
People who don't care when you mess up. People that can be mad at you, and you can be mad at them, and you still talk, and you still love each other. People that you can confide in, and and you don't have to worry about all of your dirty laundry being made public notice. The true, genuine, loving friends. Are people like that hard to come by? Can, can Can you count on one hand how many true friends that you have? If you, if you can count more than one, you're fortunate. If you can count more than two, you're extremely fortunate and blessed. But people like that are hard to come by. And, and while we long to have friends who are trustworthy, do we fit the description when it comes to being that type of friend? Are we that way with, with other people? And so this morning, as we look at this passage, I don't want to... I don't want you to think I'm trying to read too much into what's in these verses, but I want you to see through these verses how we're not only to be followers of Christ, how we're not you know, just to be making disciples, or how we're not just to be serving others, but how we're also to do that through the realm of friendship, through being friends with, with one another. And we can see that here by how Paul describes two individuals. One individual I'm sure we're familiar with, the other maybe not so. But he talks about two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And of all the disciples that Paul made in his journeys of faith, and all the people that he came in contact with and he ministered to and and taught and worked and discipled, we learn more about Timothy and Epaphroditus in Scripture than we do any other disciples, any other fellow workers. And so we know a lot about Timothy because Paul wrote him two extensive letters that are in our Bible, 1 and 2 Timothy. And, and we learn a lot about Timothy's character and his, his past and his um, future role as a leader in the church through those two letters. But Epaphroditus is a bit more of a mystery to us. In fact, the only time Epaphroditus is mentioned is in the last part of chapter 2 here. And, and so we don't know a whole lot about him, but what we do know, it says a lot. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to see the marks of a godly servant that are made possible from a discipleship that leads in friendship, that results in friendship. And so, let's look at this. Let's look at the first point. The first mark of a godly servant is a godly servant is present. Verses 19 to 25, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered on by news of you. Down to verse 25, it says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. When Paul writes to the, to the church here, he's not in Rome on some whirlwind preaching tour. He's not off planting churches or contending for the faith in foreign synagogues. Do you remember where Paul is? He's in jail. He's under house arrest, chained between two guards, and, and he's waiting his trial before the Emperor Nero. And while he doesn't have a whole lot of, of, of things of material value, he has something of even greater value. He has the presence of two friends. Two sons in the faith. Two individuals that he's poured his life into. And they're there with him. And at, and at great risk to himself. You know, I, if you... If you've ever visited someone in jail, unless you're a parent or a pastor, you, you kind of get 
brought under a, a more watchful eye. Sometimes they want to know why you're there. Because, you know, it's not common for friends to visit other friends in jail. And so you, you come under this scrutiny. And so Timothy and Epaphroditus are there in this house where Paul is under arrest. And they're, they're there. They're spending time. They're, they're living their life there with, with Paul. And they're associating with a known prisoner who's under arrest, which causes the government to look at them with a little bit more suspicion. But when you're a true friend and you have a servant's heart, do you really care what others think? Do you really care what other people are, are, are suspecting of you or, or maybe even implying about you? Well, Timothy and Epaphroditus didn't. They didn't care. They were, they were there keeping company with Paul and, and ministering to him. And I think this is a, a good indicator of determining who your true friends are. You know, Jeff Foxworthy says that, that, that real friends don't bail you out of jail. Real friends are right there in jail with you saying, man, wasn't that fun. <laughs> but, but true friends aren't there just <clears throat> passing by. True friends are, are spending time and they're, and they're there with their presence. And if you have this, uh, if you have this type of friend, when, when the hard times roll, when, when your reputation is on the line, and you don't care, you're more concerned with the welfare of your friend, then you know that you're being a true friend. And if you have this servant's heart and you want to serve others well, you'll be willing to take the risk, much like the risk that Timothy and Epaphroditus did in this account. And so when it comes to being a good servant, a godly servant, one of the true marks is our presence. When, you, when people you know, when people that you're around, when, when they find themselves sitting in a hospital waiting room, waiting on the outcome of, of a loved one's surgery or, or maybe getting the test results of, of, of something that's been bothering them, do you know what they need most? Or when, when someone is, is grieving the loss of a loved one, maybe it's unexpected, maybe it's a tragedy, maybe it's been a long time coming, but, but do you know what those people need most? Or maybe it's just someone who's going through a hard time. Maybe life has dealt them a hand that they weren't expecting and they're just struggling trying to make, make ends meet and, and get through it. Do you know what they need the most? They need you. They need you there. Present. They need you to, to be there quietly reassuring them that, that you're there for them, that, that you care about them, that you love them. And, and notice that I say quietly. I think too often, too often when, when people are hurting, when people are struggling, when people are in the midst of grieving, we're, we're, we're prone to want to fill the silence. And that's one of our first mistakes. When, when people are going through those times, you know what they don't need? They don't need advice. They don't need, um, <clears throat> they don't need opinion. They don't need instruction. They just need somebody to be there. So that when, when they need a shoulder to cry on, they have it. When they need somebody to talk to, they're there. And if we want to be a, a godly servant, if we want to be a true servant meeting the needs of other people, we'll, we'll be there. And so that means putting ourselves in the position, putting ourselves in the place of other people's lives. Being there for them. Not just in the bad times, but in the good times too. Celebrating the, the joys of life, the births, 
the, the, the birthdays, the, the anniversary, the celebrations. And being there, that, that's a, a good mark, a godly mark of a godly servant. So a godly servant is present, but also a godly servant is self-sacrificing. Look at verses 20 through 22. It says, For I have no one like him, speaking of Timothy here, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with in the gospel. Look down to verse 25 through 27 with Epaphroditus. He says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And then finally in verse 30 he says, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You know, if you were fortunate enough to be listed in the Bible, if you were fortunate enough to have your name recorded in, in, in the book of Scripture, what would you want to be recognized for? Positive traits or negative traits? 80% of the people mentioned in the Bible are in the Bible because of, of something negative that they were involved in, something negative that they uh, were a part of or they did. And they're being used as an example. And, and probably only two, around 20% of that is, is in a positive light. And so when Paul talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus here, know that he, he shines the light on the positive. And if we were to have our names recorded, that's what we would want put in the Bible. We wouldn't want all, all of our mess-ups recorded. We would want the positive stuff. And so when Paul records their quality, their, the qualities of Timothy and Epaphroditus here, I want us to take notice of those qualities and, and how they point to this self-sacrificing attitude that they had. Look at Timothy first, back down through verses 20 through 22. First it says he is a man that is concerned with the welfare of others. He's a person who's not concerned about his own well-being. He'd rather make sure to see other people were comfortable. Make sure that other people had what they need versus making sure that he was provided for. Does, does that kind of sound anti what our culture tells us? But look at that. He, he says not only was he concerned with the welfare of others, he said he's one who's interested in the things of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he's sitting in a, in a prison with Paul all for the spread of the gospel. So that the gospel can be furthered. He cares about the things of Jesus Christ. He says he's obedient like a child is toward the father. A son toward the father. You know, we, we've been talking about obedience in Sunday school. I think the last thing that grown adults want to, to submit to is, is anybody else. And, and, and we, we balk at obedience. But Scripture requires us to be obedient. And, and, and what Paul is saying here when he's obedient, saying he's teachable. He's not stuck on himself. He's not full of himself. He's, he's willing to learn. He's willing to, to put others before himself so that he can serve better. And he says he's a, a trustworthy servant. You know, we, we've already discussed, aren't people that you can trust hard to come by? People that you can depend on? 
And those are just some of the qualities that he speaks of Timothy. But, but let's look at Epaphroditus. Look down at verses 25 through 27. He says, he's like a brother to Paul. And I have not had the privilege of having a brother. But I have, I have a father who has brothers. You know, I, I, have, I have a mother who has a brother. And, and one thing about brothers, and I think this goes with sisters too, but and because the relationship's the same. Don't brothers fight? Don't sisters and, and brothers fight? But what happens when somebody messes with your brother or somebody messes with your sister? Say, it's own, Jack. <laughs> you don't mess with my brother. You don't mess with my sister. And, and you take up for them, and you, you, there's a bond there that, that, that goes beyond friendship. So it says Epaphroditus is, is like a brother to Paul. It says he's a fellow worker. He's, he's like-minded. He, he sees things the same way that Paul does, and, and, he, and he cares about the, the same issues. And he, and he, and he wants to, to help out, and he wants to, to roll up his sleeves. You know, there, there's plenty of people who like to come in and advise there's not very many people who like to roll up their sleeves and get to work. And so he's a, he's a fellow worker, but he's a fellow soldier as well. I mean, he, he's passionate. He's willing to fight. He's willing to go to war, willing to go to battle for the things that, that were concerning them during that time. It says he was a minister. You know? And, and when we think of minister, we think of a, a preacher, you know, a pastor that stands up and, and gives a message. But you know what the word minister means? It means you care for the soul. It means you care for the person, for, the, for their well-being and for, their, for you know, their, their emotional sanity. You're there to, to tend to them. And so he was a minister to Paul. It also says that he almost died serving Paul and serving the others in the church. Now, I... We may can identify with some of those others, but have any of us ever got to the point where we almost died? Would you not say that's self-sacrifice? And so the, the word here, especially in verse 30, it says where he, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. That word that he uses there is a, is a gambler's word. It means to, to stake everything on the throw of a dice. And he's saying that that's what Epaphroditus here. He, he gambled with his life for the benefit of others. It's a pretty, pretty compelling example of, of being self-sacrificing. And if we want to be marked as a godly servant, shouldn't we model some of these characteristics? Shouldn't we have some of these qualities about us? Do we, do we care about others' needs above our own? We, we started a food pantry here at this church in order to help people who are in need. Because I don't know about you, but when it gets close to noon, when it gets close to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm ready to eat. And when I go to the pantry, I like to see food there. There's some people who don't have that privilege. And if we can help in that way, God's blessed me with, with more than enough that, that, that I can share. Do we care about people's needs? Same thing with, with what we've tried to do with, with coats and shoes. and We want to be able to, to give people what God's blessed us with. And I know that in this day and age, it's not, it's not popular to, to put others' needs before your own. But maybe if we were inconvenienced every once in a while, we just might see the blessing that we're missing out on by, by helping other people. There, there is 
no replacement for the fact of, of, of someone coming up and hugging your neck because you were able to meet a need in their life. And, and we recognize that we don't do that in and of ourselves. That's God working through us. But do you know what kind of blessing it is to know that you've been able to help someone who's in need? Caring about their welfare above your own. And, and what about being a fellow worker? Can we call ourselves fellow workers? Are we adding to the responsibilities around the, the, the church and around in the community? Or are we adding to the, the, the load? Are we sharing the load? You know, is, it, is it one person's job to care for the widows and orphans? When, when we're given the command in, in scriptures to, to care for the widows and orphans, is that left to one person? Is it, is it left to one person to try and minister to the, the needs of the body of believers? So that when, you know, Paul uses the metaphor body so that when one side of the body is hurting, the other side instantly knows it? You know, it, it, it's meant to be a, a group instead of a, a singular thing? And so maybe if we, we put our own preferences on the back burner and, and when the need arises, we roll up our sleeves and we get to work and we, we jump in there together? It's a mark of a godly servant. Being a fellow soldier, being passionate about the things of Christ, working together for the, for the cause of Christ, telling people about Jesus. Is it left to one person to tell people about Jesus? Or are we supposed to be in that fight together? Or, or maybe waging war against the evil in our world, you know? Or are we, are we just going to sit back and let nature take its course until we all kill each other off? Is, is that what we're supposed to do? You know, if we had more Christians willing to take a stand on moral issues and social issues, we would begin to see a shift in our culture back to Christ. And if we got more concerned about what God cares about instead of thinking about what other people think, we wouldn't be worried about and be faced with issues like abortion or, or euthanasia or cohabitation or racial discriminations and, and, and just plain civil disobedience. God's called us to these things. He's not called us to all to these things, but, but when God's put it in our path, we're to fight. We're to work towards those things. And so the, the gist of it is this. Timothy and Epaphroditus, they were not concerned with their own needs. They could have cared less what happened to them. They were more concerned with, with, with what they were able to do. They weren't with Paul because of some warped desire to gain notoriety. Thinking they were going to be famous because they were hanging out with Paul. They said they, they were with Paul because they wanted to, to give back what was given to them. The, the time and the effort that had been placed in, in their life by Paul, they wanted to return that. They were willing to sacrifice their, their own desires. And so they gave of their time, they gave of their substance and their energy, all to be a godly servant. Let's look at this thirdly. A godly servant... It's not only present, it's not only self-sacrificing. A godly servant is repeating. Verse 23, he says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Verses 28 and 29 says, I am more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. If Paul doesn't specifically talk about discipleship here, but if we follow the flow of the text and we see what lies underneath the language that Paul is using here, we can see how it's directly pointing to discipleship. Where do you think Timothy and Epaphroditus learned how to be servants? 
Where did Epaphroditus learn how to be a fellow worker or a fellow soldier or a minister to Paul? Paul modeled it for him. Paul lived it out before them. And if you remember last week, we talked about the need for role models as servants to set the example for others. That's what Paul was doing. And because of that, what happened? Timothy and Epaphroditus had the same mind, the same character, the same qualities that they had learned from Paul. And when we lovingly serve others, when we, when we teach people how to serve, how to, how to be there, how to, to do all these things that we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, God uses that to influence them to, to not only model those things, but when they model those things, guess what happens to those that they're around? People pick up on that and they begin to be influenced and it begins to duplicate or repeat. And so, because Paul spent time with them and, and he served Timothy and Epaphroditus, they in turn were of that same character. Uh, and they reflected it there in their, their everyday living. And in this passage here where Paul tells the people of Philippi that he is sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to them, it's for a certain purpose. Look back in verse 29. It says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. I was tempted to blow past that passage, but, but looking into it, looking what that meant, honor such men. Why Timothy and Epaphroditus? For one, they were young. They were, they were under the age of 40. And in that day, in that time, in that culture, if you were under the age of 40, you were considered wet behind the ears. You were considered a spring chicken. You didn't know much. But he tells them to honor these men. And, and, and what it means is basically this. When it says honor, it says, take notice of these men. Respect them. Revere them. Model them. He's given the people of Philippi instruction there to, to do the, like they're doing. For the benefit so that they can carry it on. So that they can repeat. And can the same be said of us? Are we serving others in a way where, where people would desire to, to follow in our footsteps? And serve other people as well? You know, it, it's possible. And there's no denying that, that serving others becomes contagious. I, I was thinking about this. I was reminded just a few years ago, we had the privilege of going to Ducktown, Tennessee. And, and, and many of you know Brother Jim Jones. He's been here on the mission trips from, from our churches down in, in South Georgia. But me and Brother Jim had the opportunity to go to one lady's house whose name... Uh, I can't remember her last name. Her first name was Miss Evelyn. That's what we called her, Miss Evelyn. Miss Evelyn had never had running water inside her home. She lived on the side of a mountain between her, her, her son lived up above her on the mountain, her daughter lived below her. And she never had the opportunity to, to have running water in her home, so we were able to, to do that. We, we tapped into her son's well up the, up the mountain there and got water down to her house. And we were going to uh, dig a trench down to her daughter's septic tank down the mountain a good little bit there just to, to, to help. Uh, so we didn't have to worry about a, a uh, septic tank or anything of that nature. But we, we go and we, we, we do this. We spend two days working with Miss Evelyn. And, and we got down to... to we had to dig the trench for the septic tank from the, her house down to her daughter's house. And we get there the next morning preparing to, to, to dig our way down the side of a mountain. And there's a trench already dug. Miss Evelyn, who was in her 50s, in flip-flops, sometime that morning, had dug a trench from her house down to her daughter's house. 
so that we didn't have to. And when we got done uh, that afternoon, we got her hooked up, got her water running in her house. She had tears in her eyes. She's hugging our neck and she's, she's thanking us. You know what she said to us? She says, I can't wait to pass this on. I can't wait to be able to do this for somebody else. You don't know how much this means to me. And when we serve other people, it spurs them on to do the same. God will use us if we will be willing to be faithful to serve. It will be repeated. And we'll, we'll allow ourselves to, to do what God's called us to do. And people will follow suit. God will make sure of that. God will, will not let anything we do that's done in His name return void. He uses it. He honors it. He blesses it. And so we want to be a servant who is present. We want to be a servant who is self-sacrificing. But we also want to be a servant who is repeating. The only, only way that a church grows is by repeating itself. Going out making disciples. Following the command of Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Going into all the world. Making disciples of all nations. We want to be repeating. We want to, we want to pass on what God has done for us. We want to pass on the, the abilities that God has given us and, and share those with other people. We want to be God. I want to, I want to draw your attention to a few, a few final thoughts before we close out. These aren't on your sheet. If you have your your sheet, you can flip it over and write these down. I didn't have room for them, but I did, want to, I did want to bring our attention to it. If we want to be a godly servant, if we truly want to be the servants that God has called us to be, we will be friends. And I want to just draw your attention to a few truths that we can learn from this passage here. The first is this. Everybody needs a friend. Paul may have been some highly respected spiritual mentor and leader and, and, and preacher. He, he was well-educated. He was uh, you know, uh, smarter than, than most people. But do you know what he needed? He still needed somebody to come alongside him and minister to him and be a friend. You've heard the saying, no man is an island. It's the truth. If you have your finger, take your finger, poke yourself in your belly button. Put your finger in your belly button because that's a reminder that we were born to be connected to someone else. And it goes throughout life. We need to have a friend. Everybody needs a friend. And if you have somebody in your life, somebody that meets that description of a godly servant, someone that is present in your life, somebody that, that cares about your needs more than your own, somebody that, uh, <clears throat> that is uh, you know, always putting themselves out there for you, thank them. Let them know how much you appreciate it. Thank God for them. If you, if you have one true friend, you have more than most. But not only does everybody need a friend, in order to have good friends, we have to be a good friend. In order to be a, a godly servant towards others, we cannot sit around and wait for people to come to us. 
we have got to open our eyes and look at the people that God has put in our path, the people that we come in contact with on a, on a not, if not a daily basis, on a consistent basis. And, and, and see who these people are and be a friend. Serve them, love them. If we want to make a, a difference in people's lives, we have, to, we have to engage. We have to be friends. We have to serve. And, and, and some people will take advantage of your friendship and some people won't. Some people will just take advantage of you. But some people won't. And regardless of, 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 of whether they take advantage of not, we're not to respond out of their response to us. We're to do what God has commanded us to do and we're to love them. And we're to serve them. Last one is this. To be a friend, you have to be patient. Friendship doesn't happen overnight. There, there's some people that just click and hit it off altogether. But if you want to, you want to see a, a strong, long-lasting relationship, that is developed over time. If you don't believe me, think about yourself. If you're married, when you first got married, and you just thought that you loved your wife, or you loved your husband, and you were friends, think about now how much more you love them, how much more of a friend they are to you. Did that happen overnight? No, it took some growing pains. And it took time. It took perseverance. And the same thing with friendship. If we want to be a godly servant and a godly friend to people, it's going to take time. It's going to take some, some perseverance because aren't some people just difficult to love? Aren't some people just difficult to, to be friends with? Some people re require patience and, and perseverance. But we can't give up. We have to stay with it. And when the time is right, not only will you have a trusted friend that... <clears throat> that that you can depend on, but, but you'll have someone who, who will want to pass that on. Someone who will, who will be a trusted friend that, that could serve others just as well. So this morning as we, as we close, I want to ask you just a few questions. We've been talking about serving for the past couple of weeks. We've been talking about the, the, the model, the need, the examples. And how is all that done? Be a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Man, we don't even know what all He's done for us. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You better believe it. And if we, if we truly want to see this church grow, if we truly want to see our community change, because I, I, am, I am so convinced that God has got us here for a reason. God has placed us in this, in this historic building, in this community that, that is enamored with this building for whatever reason. But they are, they are so enamored with this building, and we have been placed in this building for a reason. And I think that's to serve the people in this community. To share God's love with them. And not only to share God's love with them, to be friends with them. And to, to not only be friends with them, but to be servants to them so that they come to know Jesus Christ. So they can come and, and, and follow like us in pursuing Christ and make more disciples. That's what He's put us here for. And so, to close this out, are we serving others well? 
You know, I, I feel on one hand that we've been beating this, this idea of serving to a pulp. But I'm only, I'm only focusing on what Scripture's focusing on. And isn't this an area where we lack? Isn't this an area where we need to work? Serving others? So do we, do we meet the marks of a godly servant? Are we sharing our lives and allowing ourselves to be duplicated? For God's sake, for the kingdom's sake. If not, we can be encouraged that we can start today. I'm going to close out with prayer. God's going to come and play.